Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.01 a.m. Central Standard Time. I'm back with you, bro. It's January the 11th, 2021. It's a brand new year. This is episode 343 of Bitcoin and let's begin with payment processor Stripe bans the Trump campaign. <laughs> I'm not going to read this whole thing. Um, I'm not actually, actually not going to read any of it. Here's what's going on, man. This is what we've walked into in 2021. It's a sea change. All the shit you thought was bad is going to get worse going forward. I wish I could begin the brand new show for the brand new year on a positive note, but I'm a realist, all right? This shit is getting bad. Uh, Deplatforming from everything. As you know by now, Trump got deplatformed from, I think, every social media uh, platform that there is to get deplatformed from. And now his campaign, and I'm... I'm still not actually sure what the hell you can campaign for at this point. I kind of thought all of the Senate races were over. I kind of figured after the certification of Creepy Joe as our next bullshit leader in chief, I, I, I figured there would be nothing to campaign about. I honestly did. I just, I don't know what they're campaigning for, but... They sure as shit ain't doing it now because Stripe has, again, deplatformed Donald Trump and his campaign from receiving any kind of payment whatsoever from whoever wants to give over their hard-earned cash to a freaking campaign, which I have never understood. I I just don't get it. I get it if I'm a millionaire and I'm going to be able to throw enough money at this cat to be able to influence shit to, to run my way because that's the way thievery works in this country and others apparently. But I'm not going to just give over 50 bucks to a campaign because I like Trump or I like Joe. That's 50 bucks that I'll never see again. And it's not going to work for me. It's not going to do anything for me. So I that's when I don't get it. If I'm a K Street lobbyist and I'm representing some billionaire and he wants to throw, you know, $5 million at somebody because they're going to get a favor, that I get. But that ain't me. And it probably is not you. If you're a billionaire listening listening to this show, dude, you want to spend your money, spend it on me, bitch. <clears throat> so anyway, if only we had some kind of censorship-resistant money that was uh, you could do, you know, use and collect and and trade amongst other people without the fear of being deplatformed. Oh yeah, that's right. We have that. That's why we're all here. So, along with the whole Trump deplatforming from 
starting honestly with Twitter. Um, and the, the, this whole stripe, this whole stripe news comes on the back of what happened over the weekend. An intense stampede from Twitter to Mastodon. All right. Now, if you don't know what Mastodon is, it is a Twitter clone. However, it's handled completely differently. It's more of a peer-to-peer uh, messaging situation that that very much has the feel of Twitter, but it's, I mean, let's be clear, it is not Twitter. <clears throat> it seems, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, if I do, don't kill me, just correct me, try to be polite, but if you want to drag me through the mud, hey, that's okay too, that's why I'm here. I'm the, I, I can be the beaten post. Um, but apparently what happens is that you can run an instance of Mastodon on your own server if you want. And people can join that particular instance of Mastodon and think instance as copy, okay? Copy of the code. So you're running the Mastodon code on your own computer. And if people want to come and start an account on your server, they are more they, they are more than willing to do that. But that ends up becoming like a small island of people. Now talk about a bubble, right? A little communications bubble. Oh, hell yeah, that's a bubble. But what's neat and kind of weird <clears throat> about Mastodon is its ability for islands, bubble islands of, of different servers to connect to each other through various rule sets, right? Now, so it, I am on bitcoinhackers.org's instance of Mastodon, right? That's where a lot of the Bitcoiners are flooding into right now. If, if you are looking at your, your Bitcoin Twitter feed and it feels different, looks different, sounds different, the timbre is different, it's because a lot of us are spending a lot more time over on Mastodon, right? <clears throat> so the, the BitcoinHackers.org instance of Mastodon, and all you have to do is go to BitcoinHackers, all one word, .org, and you will end up figuring it out. Trust me. I know I'm talking about Mastodon, and it sounds like I'm talking about another website. That's where the ecosystem starts to diverge. That's where you're going to have to actually spend some time learning what the hell's going on here. But it, trust me, it's worth it. I've been on Mastodon for a couple of years now, I think. <clears throat> and um, it just didn't really get any traction. And there's been a couple of times when Jack Dorsey pissed a whole bunch of people off. And uh, they tried. We, you know, we, we said, hey, well, maybe we should go over to Mastodon. But it just, I don't know, man. It just never really seemed to to actually, I don't know, you know, do anything. And it just kind of sat there. So what I was doing is I was using a, an app called MOA.party, M-O-A.party. Don't worry about going and finding it because as near as I can tell, shit don't work no more. Um, as of, I think, December the 14th was the last time that I was able to post something to Twitter that it automatically got cross-posted to my Mastodon. And I... I, there's a stigma, stigma about uh, cross-posting. You know what? Unless you're on like, unless you're doing something like Stack Overflow, or you're on like, I don't know, like your favorite, uh, your favorite piece of software application, like a word processor or a 3D animation package. Yeah, you probably shouldn't cross-post amongst those forums. But as far as social media is concerned, I don't give one shit about cross-posting etiquette. I will do it until the world looks level and I don't care. 
I just don't give a shit, okay? I need as many of these outlets as I can working for me, and I want to do it in a way that doesn't cause me to actually have to do the exact same post 16 different ways or 16 different times, okay? And that's where bird sight kind of comes in. But we'll get to that here in a second. Um, when you go over to bitcoinhackers.org, uh, you will find out how to get how to onboard onto Mastodon. But and here's where bird sight comes in. Just because you're going to like try out one more, you know, a different platform, I think that it's a very good idea to not leave the old platform completely behind. Um, when I was doing a whole bunch of Macedon stuff yesterday, one of my favorite Twitter accounts kind of pinged me a little bit about it. Uh, D-Y-O-R underscore FUD. Do your own research underscore FUD. It's D it is actually D-Y-O-R though on, on Twitter. Um, he said, you know, we really shouldn't be doing this. We really shouldn't be bailing because we're going to be leaving the normies out in the wind to twist with a bunch of shit coiners and ETH heads. D-Y-O-R underscore FUD is correct. We should probably not just bail on Twitter. Okay, now, if you're screaming at me right now, I get it. I really do. But come on, hear me out. You can still be on Twitter and actually be doing it from Mastodon. The way that that works is you're cross-posting. So if I type something into Mastodon and toot that out, by the way, Mastodon tweets are actually called toots, T-O-O-T, I guess because their their symbol is a, an elephant in either event. <clears throat> uh, I use Bird's, Bird Sight, okay? Uh, Bird Sight is a Chrome extension, and we'll get into the, the privacy issue of using extensions here in a second. Um, but what I can do is I can type out a toot and I can put in like, I can, I can throw in a picture. I can throw in a GIF. Um, I can throw in a link and all of that will propagate immediately to Twitter, to my old Twitter account from Mastodon without me doing anything other than hitting one extra button before I toot. So bird site, B-I-R-D-S-I-T-E. Chrome extension is what you want to Google. Once you put it or activate it in your Chrome um, and you go to mas your Mastodon instance and that comes up, a button that the, the little Twitter bird button will be added to a, a fleet of buttons in wherever it is that you're going to, you know, the, the little, uh, oh God, the editor box that you write your tweets in and stuff, you know how it's got buttons beneath it? Well, this is the same thing, except there's the buttons are a little bit different. They look a little different, but the Twitter bird is there. And if you push that button and then you hit toot, as long as bird sight has access and it will, when you first fire it up, it will have you authorize your, your Twitter account. Um, it will go automatically, not only to all the peeps over in Macedon, but it will also propagate over to your old Twitter account. So this is a way that you can not leave the normies out in the wind to twist. But I also highly recommend if you're going to do this and take this attitude that you spend at least a little bit of quality time back on Twitter because uh, DYOR FUD is correct. If we just all bail... We're going to leave a vacuum. And guess who's going to fill that vacuum? That's right. Freaking Ver and Vitalik and all those assholes are going to have a field day 
with all these poor noobs and dweebs and the guys that just don't know any, you know, anything. And this is, and we're at a critical time because we saw that, that spike well above $40,000, an almost stabilization above $40,000. And today and yesterday, clearly we're seeing a crash and burn on a 30% down draw, which is exactly what we expected. However, normies don't expect that. Okay. That they'll be, they'll be scared. And this is exactly where people like Vitalik and Joe Lubin and Ver and Craig Wright, well, Craig Wright can't do it because he's been banned from Twitter, but like Calvin Ayer and all the shit coiners are going to come in and they're going to try to scoop up using the fear of the noob, especially in times like this. So again, thank you to D-Y-O-R underscore FUD on Twitter for making sure that I kind of self-correct myself on all this stuff. But be that as it may, we're probably going to need to be able to leverage something like Mastodon because Mastodon, the way that the instances work and the way that those instances connect together kind of form a much more impenetrable situation insofar as I really can't get banned unless Novak himself bans me. That's Rodolfo Novak. He's the guy that's running bitcoinhackers.org. It's his instance. If you don't know who Rodolfo is, he's the guy behind CoinKite, which is the makers of the cold card and the open dime and several other different products like the block clock and the block clock mini. All right. So good guy running a good instance, but it is his instance. Okay. But that doesn't mean that you can't go to another instance. It's very new. It's very weird. It's very odd. Uh, I can't tell you all the ins and outs of Macedon because I, I never had a reason to dive deep into it. Now I do. When new things come up and I discover new things, I'll try to tell you about it. But I think you should consider starting your claiming your namespace, taking your namespace from Twitter which is like your name, your handle, uh, your branding, all that shit before somebody else does and move over to Macedon so you can at least claim it there. And then honestly, figure out how to use it, okay? This is probably going to be important. That's all I got on the stuff that happened over the last couple of days. All right, it's news time. Morgan Stanley eyeing Bitcoin with the latest acquisition. Now, this was yesterday uh, written by Martin Young from Crypto Potato. Uh, even big banks want a piece of the Bitcoin action. Why? Well, let's find out why. There's no denying that institutions and the big players have been the catalyst for this current crypto market cycle. And that notion has been reaffirmed by Morgan Stanley's latest acquisition. According to reports, Morgan Stanley's investment management arm boosted a stake in Bitcoin vehicle MicroStrategy Incorporated to more than 10% late last year. Let's pause. Let's just pause just a little bit. They're calling it a Bitcoin vehicle. MicroStrategy is technically not a Bitcoin vehicle. It's MicroStrategy is Michael Saylor's company and they are a software analytics company. 
they just own a shit ton of Bitcoin. So now all of a sudden they're a Bitcoin vehicle. Let that sink in because that is going to happen more and more and more and more. Continuing on, the move signifies a growing interest in crypto assets from major banks, which are clearly paying more attention to the space. According to Bloomberg, the bank held, good Lord, 792,000 shares of MicroStrategy by the end of December 2020, according to a filing with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor has been an outspoken proponent of Bitcoin, investing more of the firm's money into the asset in recent months. Well, actually sort of loans, whatever. He even publicly encouraged Elon Musk to make a similar move with Tesla's money last month, and his latest tweet needs no explanation. Quote, if you own the most desirable asset in the universe, why would you ever sell it? End quote. MicroStrategy stock gained 37% this year as the cryptocurrency soared, compared with a 1.8% rise in the S&P 500, the report stated, major institutional funds such as Grayscale continue to grow in terms of assets under management. The firm's latest tweet indicates that there is now $28.4 billion in assets under management. Of that sum, 85% is held in the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. It is clear that major banks and institutional grade funds are viewing Bitcoin and digital assets as a hedge against a failing monetary policy by global central banks. As the, oh God, the COVID-19 pandemic shows no signs of slowing down, global money printers are literally going burr around the clock as governments scramble to, <clears throat> to keep their crumbling economies afloat. So <clears throat> there you have it. And again, it should be, probably be a point of note that they called it a Bitcoin vehicle, right? Now, whether Morgan Stanley said that themselves or it's just, uh, who is this, uh, Martin Young writing for Crypto Potato, it does not matter. The fact that we have basically kind of a new terminology uh, that's get, getting some birth. It, maybe it'll get traction, I don't know. <clears throat> but a way to invest in Bitcoin is not... It, for these people under the the way that they think in the, the legacy system is that they don't want direct exposure to Bitcoin, but they want direct exposure to Bitcoin. So instead of buying the actual asset, they buy the company that holds the asset, which means they can't do a damn thing about whether or not Michael Saylor sells all the asset out from underneath them. I think that that's a real dangerous way to go. If you're so enamored with something that you buy a company because they own that thing, and you have the chance to buy that same thing and own it for yourself and you don't do it, I think you're making a mistake. I think Morgan Stanley is making a mistake, not because Michael Saylor is poised to sell. We don't know. But because if he is and they don't know, well, they just you then then you are at the hands of weak hands. Let's just put it that way. Now, y'all be careful out there. A new malware working on Windows, Linux, and Mac OS targets your cryptocurrency. Jordan Linchev is writing this one on January the 9th, 2021, and says, oh, and for Crypto Potato, and says, <clears throat> a recent report informed of a new type of malicious operation that has been active for over a year and has targeted thousands of cryptocurrency users, dubbed ElectroRat, 
probably because of rat poison squared. It's written from scratch to work on various operating systems and promoted via dedicated forums and marketing campaigns. The cybersecurity company Intizer issued a report describing the latest threat for cryptocurrency users. It reads that the firm discovered the operation in December 2020, but it has been active for at least a year. The paper described it as a composition of a full-fledged marketing campaign, custom cryptocurrency-related applications, and a new remote access tool. Or Okay, that's where RAT comes in. And it's written from scratch. The company admitted that while it's common for such information stealers to try to collect private keys to access victims' wallets, ElectroRat has a few fundamental differences. The latest malicious operation was reportedly built from scratch in a way to target multiple operating systems at once, Windows, Linux, and Mac. The malicious operation was typically promoted as a very successful trading instrument or a tool for multiple exchange transactions on one interface. The report highlighted that the attackers behind the malicious threat use several well-known blockchain and cryptocurrency forums to promote their operation, including Bitcoin Talk and Steam Coin Pan. <laughs> Steam Coin Pan. Woo-dee-doo. The perpetrators had set up fake user accounts and published multiple false success stories, tempting readers to browse the application's webpage. Victims were able to download the app from an external page without realizing that it's malware. Furthermore, the attackers created Twitter and Telegram accounts for DAO Poker application and paid a cryptocurrency medial influencer for advertisement. If the victim indeed falls for the malicious attack and installs the app on his device, the perpetrators receive access to his personal information, accounts, and private keys for crypto wallets. Once they have this data, they can execute transfers from hot wallets. Ultimately, the cybersecurity company estimated that the number of victims that downloaded the malware is about 6,500. Uh, Crypto Potato recently reported about another similar malicious project that worked as a Google Chrome extension. However, it was downloaded over 30 million times and multiple victims reported losing all of their BTC on other digital asset holdings. So let's go back and revisit what I was talking about, uh, BirdSight. <clears throat> That is the plugin that I'm using on my Brave browser, which is a Chrome clone. Um, and I forgot to tell y'all that there's caveats about using extensions. The main caveat that's important is that everything, everything spies on you. It, to what degree is unknown, honestly. However, one can be assured that if you install an extension into Chrome and you use it, you're you're owned. Okay, you're just you're just a pwned boy. Um, now, to what degree? I don't know. I mean, Bird Sites bit seems to be around for a while. I haven't seen any reports of it being really you know really funky. But be aware, it, it's a situation that it could be that what starts coming out are Chrome extensions that don't look like they have anything at all to do with cryptocurrency. Now think about that one. Think about, oh, we're, this Chrome extension will, I don't know, allow you to see uh, like a, a visualize. Uh, one of the ones that I was using earlier was a way to visualize tweets in a way so that you could actually follow each individual branch of that, of that tweet. Like several different people might reply to a single tweet. The guy that wrote the original tweet might, you know, talk to three or four of them. This was a way to kind of unfurl all those tweets and see it visually so that you could follow the longest, essentially the longest chain. 
or the shorter chain or but basically what it did is it, it in an instant it shows you what you don't be you know what you're not interested in and that generally speaking is a single reply to a tweet in either event it's an extension and somebody i was t- talking about it on twitter uh before the great exodus and all of a sudden somebody said shit isn't this like you know isn't that a privacy problem and i'm like yeah absolutely it's a fucking privacy problem all of this shit is a privacy problem but Again, it's to what degree. And the fact that the degree is always an unknown, you should always expect to be pwned. But again, all models are bad. Some are useful. Keep that in mind when you go and, like, if you start thinking about any kind of extension, much less the bird site extension that I was telling you about. Continuing with the news. BTC liquidity crisis? Duh. Bitcoins on exchanges decrease as whales continue to accumulate. Jordan Lanchev is writing this one for Crypto Potato also, and that was yesterday. The number of Bitcoins stored on cryptocurrency exchanges has gradually been decreasing, while the number of BTC whales keeps increasing. Having, <laughs> having also in mind the aftermath of the having an institution purchasing massive quantities of the asset, it could lead to a significant liquidity crisis. No. Data from the monitoring resource CryptoQuant informs that the number of Bitcoin kept on crypto exchanges continuously dropped last year. As the graph below demonstrates, BTC held in exchange wallets peaked at nearly 3 million during during and after the liquidity crisis in mid-March of 2020 when the asset price plummeted to below 4,000. As the cryptocurrency started to recover its lost value, many investors began withdrawing their BTC holdings from exchanges. This has led to the recent numbers of beneath 2.4 million Bitcoin held on trading venues. At the same time, Glassnode CTO highlighted the correlation between BTC's price and the growing number of addresses holding at least 1,000 Bitcoin, which is known as whales. Glassnode's graph illustrates that BTC whales have been gradually expanding their holdings during the same period to north of 2,000 such addresses. So we got 2,000 whales swimming around is what they're saying. The price has performed quite similarly, exploding to new highs of over $40,000. Both of these metrics point out to a topic that has been a growing, been growing in popularity within the community, and that is a liquidity crisis. Crypto Potato recently reported another angle that explored different metrics that suggested an ongoing liquidity crisis for the cryptocurrency. Apart from the whales, it breached the estimated 3 million lost coins and the game changer of 2020, the start of institutional adoption. Last year saw the grand entrance of numerous large corporations and institutions. Michael Saylor's business intelligence giant MicroStrategy led the charge. NASDAQ-listed company made several BTC purchases in a matter of months. For the for <clears throat> That equaled over $1.1 billion allocated. Okay, God only knows what that's worth right now. I have no idea. <clears throat> Jack Dorsey Square followed with a $50 million buy, the insurance giant Mass Mutual, the hedge funds One Asset River Management and Ruffer Investment, and the Wall Street behemoth Guggenheim Partners also allocated billions of dollars in total in BTC. The largest digital asset manager, Grayscale, has also enjoyed massive growth. Consequently, these developments have drained the liquid supply of Bitcoin adding the slashed in half production of new coins to 6.25 BTC per block after the 2020 halving, one can see merit in the theory that the cryptocurrency is indeed in a liquidity crisis. 
Well, maybe not right now. But whatever. Bitcoin scaling comes to Coin Corner as Exchange launches Lightning Network support. So another exchange is going to add Lightning. Let's find out about it from Sean Jarvis, writing for BTC Times. He's writing this one on January the 9th. United Kingdom-based Bitcoin exchange Coin Corner has become the latest major trading platform to support the Lightning Network. Traders can now use Lightning via Coin Corner's website with a mobile implement implementation in the works, Lightning, which allows Bitcoin users to send transactions near instantly and at neg negligible cost, is often regarded as one of the most popular scaling solutions for Bitcoin. Launched in March 2018 by Lightning Labs, the Layer 2 protocol, Lightning takes transactions off-chain, meaning that they occur on a second layer on top of the Bitcoin blockchain. Lightning users can lock up Bitcoin on the base <coughs> Bitcoin base layer and unlock it on the Lightning network to transact, which results in considerable load savings for nodes and drives down fees and transaction times. Quote, Bitcoin users want more efficient transactions. They want to be able to send and receive Bitcoin without having to wait for confirmations or experience high withdrawal fees. And the Lightning Network is the answer to this. <laughs> well, right now, we'll have to wait and see how this thing works out. Don't get me wrong. I love the Lightning Network, but I want to be realistic about the future of it, okay? We may need third and fourth layers to handle all the traffic, all right? Just saying. It benefits our customers and the Bitcoin network. And quote, Coin Corner CEO Danny Scott told the BTC Times, quote, there is no differentiation on our platform between Bitcoin and Lightning Bitcoin. That's a bad term. Lightning network deposits and on-chain deposits will show up as the same balance for our customers. Despite being around for almost three years, Lightning has yet to make sweeping inroads. <coughs> Sorry, that one made me laugh a little bit. We'll get to why here in a second. I'm going to come to a pause. When it comes to exchanges, making Coin Corner an early mover. Leading exchange Bitfinex, as well as younger platform River Financial, are among those that already support Lightning, while U.S. exchange Kraken announced in December that it planned to integrate Lightning in 2021. Now I'm going to pause. <coughs> Because, no, I, 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 it's not like I'm in the dark. Yes, I know what Jack Mallers is doing, okay? Y'all already know about this. There, this. There's a reason why I didn't do it, like, start this, like, this year with the wrap-up of 2020 or talking about news that we knew about five days ago. I, I need to give you the shit that's happening now, okay? If you guys are listening to me, then I guarantee for myself that you're listening to better podcasts as well, like, uh, oh, I don't know, Tales from the Crypt, Rabbit Hole Recap. <clears throat> uh, I know you got a lot of people in the uh, field don't really like him, but Peter McCormick has interviewed Jack Mallers, who is talking about what he did with Global Strike. Okay, so when they say this, quote, Lightning has yet to make sweeping inroads, end quote. Bullshit. A 26-year-old in a frickin' hoodie whose office is an empty woman's closet in a building in Chicago is streaming a paycheck to a guy in the UK every five seconds. His monthly paycheck split up and is being paid every five seconds going from dollars to Bitcoin, onto the Lightning Network, out of the Lightning Network, sell the Bitcoin for euros within seconds. In 200, it, it's possible he's basically onboarded almost 200 countries or is in the process of doing so. 
So that bullshit, Lightning has yet to make sweeping inroads. Yeah, you just watch. Let's continue on. For Scott, however, the protocol's mass rollout is a matter of if, not when. Oh, God. Just, do you guys not read the freaking... Whatever. Quote, the Lightning Network is clearly the front runner for making Bitcoin payments at scale. So innovating now and staying ahead of the game is what we want to do. Other exchanges will follow suit in the coming years. They are just prioritizing their developments in a different order to ourselves. Unfortunately, at the detriment to the progression of the Bitcoin network and infrastructure, end quote. As a case in point, when it comes to such prioritization, major exchange Binance only implemented segregated witness, witness support last December with CEO CZ, also known as CZ. I can't pronounce his name. That's why I said CZ. In crypto circles, explaining that other development projects needed to be completed first. For some, SegWit adoption has been slower than desired. A delay in the implementation of what is widely seen as Bitcoin's largest protocol upgrade to date is sometimes attributed to the technical effort needed to implement the upgrade, which requires more time and overhead for large companies and may not be every firm's top priority. Okay. Quote, took a while, but we did it, Zhao summarized on Twitter as the upgrade rolled out. According to the monitoring resource 1ml.com, the Lightning Network had 15,611 active nodes and 36,000 318 open channels as of Friday. Total network capacity was 1,059 BTC or $44 million. It is worth noting that publicly available data does not include private nodes and channels on the network. The actual numbers may be therefore higher. Dude, if there's at least one private channel on a private node, then indeed the numbers have to be higher because in my world, two plus two does not equal five and math is not freaking racist. To end, <clears throat> as the BTC Times reported previously, 2020 saw Lightning Labs tackle one of the protocol's major sticking points in the form of liquidity management through the launch of a dedicated marketplace. <clears throat> and that thing is, is seems to be working very, very well. Um, let's see here. Where, what else have we got here? Oh, uh, just a few, a couple of notes before we do talk about numbers. Uh, there is, uh, a lot more Bitcoin miners are choosing Kazakhstan, amazingly enough. So instead of, you know, there's a lot of Chinese miners that are thinking about packing up and moving on over to Kazakhstan. It's going to be, it's going to be kind of interesting. Right now, Kazakhstan's share of the Bitcoin hash rate expanded from 1.4% to nearly 6.2% between September, 2019 and April of 2020. That's kind of astounding for Kazakhstan. Okay. This is one of the Stan countries, right? It's not exactly like first world luxury. But it's not like a shithole either. I, from what I've understood, Kazakhstan can be fairly nice in places, but it's politically unstable. Kinda. 1.4% of the hat total hash rate to 6.2 between September of one year and April of the next. Dude, you need to be looking at Kazakhstan. So here, here's, here's the way that I'm going to re, revamp the way that I look at shit. I used to say that I'm looking at Latin America, Central, well, Latin America, so that's Central and South America. I'm looking at the entire continent of Africa. Those have been my go-to places for the people that really need this stuff the most. I just wasn't looking at Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe, the Stans, that that type of, you know, like Romania, Transylvania, these these kinds of places, 
and then getting up into the, you know, possibly the Baltics, that's number three. Those places are number three. So Latin America, um, Africa, the Baltics, and all of Eastern Europe. That's what I'm, I've, I've added Eastern Europe and the Baltics to my list of who I'm looking at, who needs this stuff more than quote unquote Western countries. Also to note, Dan Larimer quits block one and EOS token immediately falls 16%. So scammer Dan Larimer is going on apparently to do another scam. I don't exactly know what it is, but you know that Dan is not out of cryptocurrency because as long as he's alive, he will end up scamming the living crap out of anybody who will listen to him. Be very careful. If you get, if a new token comes up and it looks like it's a blast and you're going to make shit tons of money from it, look to see if Dan Larimer is behind. First of all, don't buy it because it's, it's a shit coin. But second, we know it's an automatic scam. If Dan Larimer ends up being the guy that launches that coin or is on the team of the people launching that coin. But I expect a coin to be dropping very, very soon. Just saying Let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities. Why futures? Because I'm up before the markets are up. Bitcoin never stops trading. Oil is at $51.95 a barrel. That is down one half of a percent. Brent North Sea is at $55.38 a barrel. It is down one full percent. Natural gas doing its thing. It's at $2.6 for a thousand cubic feet of that. And that's down 2.19. Let's see what gold's doing. Oh, gold has a rally of half a percent. It's back up to, oh, $1,844. Silver also back up considering that it got its lunch eaten a couple of days ago. Uh, it's up 1.31%. Platinum, though, in the in the dirt, 2.27 to the downside on percentage points. Copper is also down 1.7%. Let's see. Indices, it looks like it's probably going to be a mad day, but I don't know. Futures have a tendency, to, uh, on the especially on the indices, uh, to not really represent what happens after the opening bell. But here, this is all we got. I got the Dow futures down 0.66%. S&P is down 0.5%. NASDAQ is down 0.5%. And the S&P mini is down 0.88%. Uh, let's talk about real money. Bitcoin is at, ooh, God, $33,680. Looks like I'm going to have a high over at, uh, let's see, Bitfinex is going to have it at 34588 and I do believe that I just blew my low. Yep, I did. 33,680 is the actual low. I do not know what, what uh, Oracle that's coming from. But 350,000 transactions were completed in the last 24 hours. That's about 14,500 transactions on average per hour. Six, oh, ooh, that's interesting. Only 607,000 BTC have been traded over the last 24 hours, hence liquidity crisis. Uh, 25,305 BTC are being traded on average every hour on the hour, <clears throat> excuse me, on the hour with the average transaction value of 1.75 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.022 BTC or $750. Holy shit. Block time is low at eight minutes and 53 seconds. 
we have 0.6 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 101.18 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We have had a 9 point, good, holy crap, 9.3% increase to the upside on hash rate, bringing us all the way up to what appears to be for me, since I've been away for a while, an all-time high of 161.3 exahashes per second. I've never seen it that high before, but whatever. Um, <clears throat> okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and give you the shitcoin numbers just because I've been away for a while. Ethereum is at $1,095. Uh, Litecoin is at $140. Bcash is at $500. And BSV is almost at $200. Dogecoin hit one cent parity while I was on Christmas vacation. It is now at 0.009, which is three times higher than what I normally see it at. You got to ask yourself, what in the hell is going on? And by the way, that uh, market cap for Dogecoin at this point at 127, well, hold on, what's the market cap? Give me the market cap. What the hell, man? Oh, it's not giving me, there it is, there it is. $1.16 billion is the market cap for Doge. Just let that sink in a little bit because that overtook Ethereum Classic. Uh Let's get away from this. Clark, help me, man. Clark, take me away. There are 49,729 transactions waiting to clear. That will take 92 blocks to do that. And that's at sub 10 minute block times, guys. 92 blocks is what it's going to take to clear that shit. Um, let's see, what do we got here? Oh, Bitcoin, The if you have one Bitcoin and you want to trade it for gold, you're going to be able to trade it for 18.6 ounces of gold. Uh, Clark has run the numbers and has come out with 18,597,275.4 BTC is in circulation at the present time. We have captured 5.36% of gold's market cap. And the total market capitalization of Bitcoin is $644.3 billion. Uh, we have 100, like the news story said, we have about 101,000, sorry, 1,050.35 BTC is in the Lightning Network. Uh, that gives us about $36.3 million in capacity. And that's over 8,249 nodes representing 36,352 channels. The tour capacity is up pretty well and has apparently stayed up while I was on vacation. Thank you, Lightning Network or uh, Tor Network. Tor capacity is 554.5 BTC, and that gives us 52.8% of the Lightning Network is now running over Tor. And that means that there are 2,973 Tor nodes. Now, my question is, how the hell do you see a Tor node? <clears throat> I mean, do you broadcast over Tor that you're running over Tor in, in ClearNet? I don't know how Clark's getting that number. I'm not saying that he's lying about it. I like Clark. I trust him. But I still have to wonder, if it's running over Tor, how the hell do you see it? I'm going to let y'all answer that. If you know how, let me know. Other than that, that's going to do it for Vitals.
Let's start off the second part of the snooze you can use with the bittersweet story. Crypto user recovers long lost private keys to access 400 million USD in Bitcoin. Turner Wright tells us about it from Cointelegraph sometime last night. Uh, a student has claimed to have found private keys accidentally hodled starting as early as 2011, which will unlock more than $4 million. That's the fiat dollars in Bitcoin. Yeah. You know where the bittersweet part or the bitter part is coming on. According to a throwaway account from a Bitcoin hodler, thank you, the Reddit user was able to cash out weekends roughly 4.2 million dollars in bitcoin after finding the lost keys to 127 btc on december the 22nd when the price of the crypto asset was in the 23,000s. let me say that again B- <clears throat> bitcoin's price on december 22nd was twenty-three thousand dollars, and they sold it they later liquidated the coins in the middle of a bull run yeah see that's a bad now you Weak hands. Quote, I spent the next week figuring out how to safely and securely liquidate such a large amount of Bitcoin for the cheapest price possible, said the Redditor. Quote, I went back and forth between over-the-counter principal desks and ultimately ended up selling all 127 Bitcoin for a price of $33,439 per coin minus a 0.15% fee. The net was roughly 400 or sorry, $4.24 million. In quote, they claim to have earned Bitcoin in 2011 or 2012 through surveys, watching videos, and completing random tasks to ultimately use coins for purchasing in-game currency for the online game Dark Orbit. The private keys were reportedly never really missing, just forgotten on an older model Dell computer as Bitcoin hodler thank you ended up not purchasing the currency. Unfortunately, if the Redditor's account is to be believed, they missed out on $1 million in additional profit by not hodling for just a few more weeks. Since December, the price of Bitcoin passed $41,000 to reach new all-time highs. Bitcoin hodler thank you admitted that they would have they would not have sold all 127 Bitcoin if the same situation had played out again. Quote, to give myself credit, I did hodl for eight to nine years, which is more than the vast majority of crypto users. I definitely would have done things differently if I were given a second chance. Mm, I'm just going to stop right there because this is just, ultimately, this is not a happy story. <clears throat> nope. This is a guy in college. Okay. He's like we're talking a guy in his like early twenties, maybe possibly very, very late teens. You know where this is going. And it doesn't matter what pullback we're seeing right now. Dude, $4.24 million is going to look like a fucking pittance in 10 years from now. It's, this is just, for me, this is a sad story. But hey, it happens. Hoddle your coins, people. William Suberg is going to tell us about Bitcoin whales uh, profiting as we can sell BTC throughout the 40K bull run. Um, this is from Cointelegraph. It was written like very early this morning. Um, let's see. Statistics governing wallet balances from Glassnode reveal that the main investors buying the dip are those with balances in excess of 1,000 BTC. Yeah, I know. We've already read this before, but this is a different take. Compiled by Elias Simos, protocol specialist at blockchain infrastructure provider Bison Trails, the numbers suggest that the wealthy have been profiting from Bitcoin being sold by smaller investors throughout December and January. 
That's that kid that I just read. The the guys that acquired those coins, dude, that who, that's who they're getting them from is people that cannot hold their shit together. So learn how to hold your shit together, okay? Um, while the number of lists, let's get back to, there's another part. Oh, this is the part that, that is, wasn't listed in the whale report. <clears throat> Guggenheim hints it will sell BT. And this is part of the same story. While institutional buy-ins have become the standard narrative of Bitcoin over the past few months, rogue weekend signal from one of them caught analyst attention this week as coin telegraph reported guggenheim partners which announced a sizable fund allocation to btc in late november is allegedly planning to sell some of its holdings already the trigger came from cio scott minard who on monday said that bitcoin's weekend drop provided the impetus to rethink its position we're front running people that <clears throat> that get paid millions of dollars for their salary because they're quote unquote so smart and they understand everything. Dude, I guarantee you Bitcoiners are going to be the C-suite executives in the next tw 10 to 20 years because this kind of weak handedness is just unacceptable in today's world. It's unacceptable. Quote, Bitcoin's parabolic rise is unsustainable in the near term, vulnerable to a setback, he wrote. Quote, the target technical upside is 35,000 and has been exceeded. Take time to take some money off the table. Why? So that it can melt like snow? Is that why you want to take it off the table? God's sakes, you asshole. His suggestion appeared to confuse market participants with responses querying the rationale behind the decision coming just weeks after Guggenheim's initial entry. Quote, CIO of huge firm day trading BTC, it's a five to 10 year hold minimum. Macro investor Dan Tapirio argued institutional uptake comes amid a more fundamental supply and demand squeeze for Bitcoin with large buyers already outpacing what miners can produce each month. Again, you're looking, you're standing, you're, there's three things. You're looking square in the face of a liquid, of an obviously liquidity crisis. How that develops, we'll have to find out. <clears throat> we got a guy who bought in weeks ago, just weeks ago, and at the first sign of trouble is ready to pull the plug, okay? And this is all in the face of a bunch of people that know better. Five to 10 year hold minimum is the correct thought process here. And this is why Scott Meenard is probably not going to last as a C-suite executive uh, very much longer. Well, of course he will because it's legacy. But the new up-and-comers are going to be people that have diamond-hard hands. And those guys are going to be very well rewarded. Now, this guy wants to be rewarded for his hard work in New York City, although I don't know if he's going to get any takers. But a bar owner wants to sell his two New York City watering holes for $1 million in a Bitcoin. Quote, I'm hoping to catch one of these crypto dudes who always wanted to own a bar, said Patrick Hughes. Turner writes, writing this for Cointelegraph. When is it? Oh, sometime yesterday. Mm. Oh, oh my. We'll get to that in a second. I just saw a picture in the news story. Uh, New York City bar owner and crypto enthusiast Patrick Hughes is offering to sell two of his popular restaurants in the Hell's Kitchen neighborhood of Manhattan for cryptocurrency. According to a report from the New York Post, Hughes will accept crypto payments in the form of Ether. 
or Bitcoin, Jesus, for the sale of Hellcat Annie's and Scruffy Duffy's located on 10th Avenue in New York City. A sign in front of the bar states, or both bars states, that the asking price is 800 Ethereum or 25 BTC for both properties, roughly $1 million at the time of publication. Let's pause about that. You're talking about, okay, even though New York City's on lockdown, the restaurant industry has been completely crushed due to just fear mongering, you know, honestly. Um, everything is like horrible over there. So, yeah, there's a bunch of people that are getting out, but Hell's Kitchen? Dude, of all the places in the world that could come back from the brink of death, it's going to be Hell's Kitchen because of its storied past with restaurateurs. Right? Hell's Kitchen is not something that you just like walk away from. And he's going to walk away from it for a million dollars. I think what this means is that this bar owner knows that BTC, if he gets that, is going to go way up in value. And he's just basically trying to get rid of his shit right now because he wants out of New York. <clears throat> this guy will probably be a hodler if he gets it. I just hope he doesn't take the Ethereum. It's just that's just sad. He says the fifty-six or this that says the fifty-six-year-old Queens native owner cited the shutdowns caused by the global pandemic as one of the reasons for the sale. Hughes reported he had been forced to reduce the number of staff at Hellcat Annie's and Scruffy's by roughly ninety percent from fifty people from before the March outbreak to five or six people. Good God! Despite the seemingly first ever sale of a New York City bar for crypto. Some on social media criticize Hughes for the timing. The price of Bitcoin has surged to new all-time highs entering the new year, while New York businesses are still suffering the effects of the pandemic. Quote, NYC is rapidly deprecating asset right now. Sorry, NYC is a rapidly depreciating asset right now with the exodus of people leaving the city, said Redditor Cheyuto. Hard pass. Quote, seems like he's lowering the number of buyers for himself, said crypto Twitter user Delodowitz. No one is going to commit to a price in BTC with a 30-day close period for escrow. You could double your price, end quote. Bars and restaurants have promoted crypto adoption by offering Bitcoin payments as a medium of exchange. Room 77, a bar and restaurant in Germany, was one of the first brick-and-mortar businesses to accept Bitcoin, with one customer buying a pint of beer in May of 2011. That was pretty early when you think about it. The establishment closed its doors in October, which patrons speculating it may have been related to restrictions due to the pandemic at the time of publication. The price of Bitcoin is, yeah, we just went through all that shit. We don't need that. But here, you know, there you go. There's a guy in New York City who wants out and he doesn't want out in cash. He wants out in, in I'm going to just say Bitcoin. I just can't say the other one. Now, Experts are saying that gold outflows is has been what pushed Bitcoin higher. I think that's one of the things. But this was written back on January the 9th, which was before this little this dip, the 30% expected pullback that we have going on right now. Andrew Thurman is writing this one for Cointelegraph and says, according to multiple experts, one possible reason for Bitcoin's remarkable recent price rise are massive investor outflows from another popular inflation hedge, which is gold. Spot gold swooned over the past week, falling 4.62% to $1,857. The asset previously had been surging in unison with Bitcoin, which is up over 40% from $28,000 lows last week. 
$28,000 lows. It just seems funny to say that. In a tweet on Friday, Charlie Morris, founder and CIO at Bite Tree Asset Management, said the pullback in gold might be attributable to investors moving to Bitcoin. Here's the tweet. With bond yields up and inflation expectations down today, gold has taken a hit. This justifies a $50 sell-off, but price is down $120. I'd attribute uh, the excess uh, two flows moving towards Bitcoin, end quote. Likewise, earlier in the week, CNBC's Mad Money host Jim Cramer said that the outflows from gold ETFs are all going into crypto, tracking inflows and outflows from Grayscale's Bitcoin Investment Trust and gold ETFs back this assertion as Grayscale has eclipsed gold. The moves could be a sign of Bitcoin's rising status as a legitimate asset class. Gold and Bitcoin have long been linked as both are seen as a way to protect wealth against inflation and macroeconomic uncertainty. But the price movements over the last week, if the price movements over the last week are any indication, however, Bitcoin may be winning the narrative race. In an interview with Bloomberg, CoinShares Chief Revenue Officer Frank Spatiri said that the narrative surrounding Bitcoin as an inflation hedge is gaining legs in the face of a highly unconventional monetary policy environment. Quote, it seems like we're in the middle of a simultaneous awakening among amongst institutions to Bitcoin as an uncorrelated store of value asset, he said. The observations from experts come after a unique flippening earlier this week. As of Friday, a single Bitcoin is worth more than a 20-ounce gold bar. Still, for all the bearish price action and Bitcoin's ascendancy, certain high-profile gold bugs refuse to budge on their positions. Can you guess who comes in next? In a tweet yesterday, longtime Bitcoin skeptic and gold investor Peter Schiff opens his mouth and says, quote, Today's weak economic data on jobs is causing investors to buy risk assets and sell safe haven assets like gold. The weaker the economy gets, the more money the Fed prints to prop it up. So the real risk is inflation. And once investors understand this, they will seek safety in gold. Yes, Peter, it's been $1,700 ever since you were a baby and will be $1,700 or $1,800 when you go to the grave. I have never seen anybody this obstinate before in my entire life, but be that as it may, let's continue on with this one. A deluge of would-be Bitcoin traders prompts eToro to put out the unwelcome mat. This was written January the 9th for Coindesk by Kevin Reynolds, and it says eToro has said it was so overwhelmed by demand by newcomers who want to trade cryptocurrencies on the exchange that it has temporarily boosted the amount new users have to put on deposit to discourage them from joining. Uh, this is a bullet point list. We'll go through it. The, the platform, which mainly caters to social or beginning traders, raised its required deposit level to $1,000 from 200 Holy crap. <laughs> That's Wow, dad, dude, the number of new registrations and the volume of deposits and training on the platform hit new all-time highs in 2021, fueled by crypto. Amy Butler, global head of uh, public relations for eToro, said in an email to Coindesk, quote, we have seen huge demand for crypto, especially Bitcoin, she said. While institutional funds were the main driver of the bull run last year, this report of unprecedented demand, in quotes, by eToro could be a sign that retail traders are finally starting to jump in with both feet. Be careful. Quote, in the first week of 2021, we have seen days with over, get this, 
40,000 new registered users in a day and volumes of crypto trades at 10 times the average of last year. After notching more than 300% gain in 2020, the price of Bitcoin has already risen more than 35% this year, while last year's performance largely stayed off the front page of non-crypto publications. This year's string of all-time highs has been getting more and more attention from the mainstream media. This is undoubtedly creating increased interest and perhaps a fear of missing out on the part of retail investors, the likes of whom are now overwhelming eToro and potentially others. Nice. Uh, we're going to end it with this one. <clears throat> Excuse me. The FCA is warning of suspicious cryptocurrency companies promising high returns. What years did, does this remind you of? Like what, 2011 up until now? <laughs> <laughs> this is Crypto Potatoes author Jordan Lynchev, and he says, oh, it was writing apparently sometime early this morning, following the latest bullish developments in the cryptocurrency field, the UK Financial Conduct Authority, that's the FCA, has warned investors of the potential risks associated with investing in certain digital asset endeavors. The UK's regulator has high, highlighted the risky nature of the industry and said people should be prepared for worst case scenarios including losing all their money. Although the cryptocurrency market saw vigorous price drops in the past 24 hours, it has been on a bull run led by Bitcoin in the past several months. That's why all shit coins can only do what Bitcoin tells it to do. Just saying. BTC broke above 20,000 for the first time in late 2020, doubled its value once more, reached a new all-time high of $42,000, and most altcoins followed along with impressive results. That's because Bitcoin allowed that. They weren't able to do it on their own, and they never will. These remarkable gains in a relatively short period have led to the creation of numerous firms and projects that promise investors of similarly high returns. There's the crux. Okay, that's what's happening right now. We, we're going to have another spate of altcoin creation, ICOs, bullshit investment companies. It's all coming back. Okay, it's, it's like the wave washes out with the bear market. It washes back in with the bull, okay? This is just the way the cycle of the ecosystem is starting to, to work itself out. So be, I'm just going to stop right there because we are at an hour. Um, you know, There's nothing else to know about what the FCA is saying other than the fact that they're just broadcasting to the UK a broad warning that you're going to get hosed. And they are absolutely 100% correct. If it's not Bitcoin, it's shitcoin and you should run away. Just saying. I don't think Ethereum 2.0 is ever going to happen. And if it does, I don't think it's going to be what people thought it was going to be. All right. That's a whole other story. But shit like, I mean, I sometimes I tell you the price about Doge. Sometimes I say that I own Dogecoin. Dude, you know why I own Dogecoin? I'm too lazy to sell it. I got, it's on, it's on a ledger. I got to get the ledger. I, I got to get it over to an exchange. And honestly, I can't be bothered for a 0.9 cent, you know, whatever. If it, for whatever reason, it rose up to like 10 bucks, yeah, I'd probably do it. But it's a shit coin. I own it because it was the first meme coin. I won't let it go because I'm too lazy to let it go. Hell, I got Litecoin laying around. That doesn't mean that I'm all about Litecoin. It's just because I don't give it, I don't care anymore. I haven't cared about anything other than Bitcoin since the very start of the summer of 2016. 
I went through all the shit coinery. I didn't trade. I didn't really trade. I mean, I, I made a trade, but I, I wasn't day trading. I wasn't doing that kind of stuff. I'm just saying all of this is going to come back. And with DeFi in the mix, it's going to be even more dangerous. It's going to get ugly. It's going to get ugly quick. You need to be prepared. You need to be prepared to hodl your Bitcoin. You need to be prepared to DCA only into Bitcoin. Daily cost average is, I believe, really the way to go through a bull and a bear market. You can go to Swan Bitcoin. That's where I'm set up. You can go to River Financial. I've used them before and they're pretty good Joes. You can use Cash App. And this is all in the United States. I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't want to tell you where to go outside of the United States because I don't want to tell you wrong information. I don't live in the UK. I've never been to the UK. I don't know what the hell's going on in the UK. I'm just going to take care of my homies over here in the United States because we got, honestly, we got mondo problems over here, man. Um, take care of yourself. Take care of those around you. Buy Bitcoin. DCA it. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.